0: That virtual so, background gives your hair some extreme height, Bill.
1: Don't <laughs> love it? Wanna make that paper? Wanna make that down? This is the affiliate
2: marketing show. Wanna make that paper? Wanna make that down? I just, uh... Are you,
0: are you
1: basing Beverly Hills? Um, no, I, 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 just moved my office. I shut down my, I have a small remote office in Beverly Hills because it's near where my kids go to school. My main office is out in San Clarita, which is about 50 minutes away. And about, uh, I, I say about five months ago, I shut it down because I moved in an area called Sherman Oaks, which is directly the yeah. mountain from Beverly Hills. And, uh, now I'm, I'm setting up a new office near me here. Uh, the, more, more people together but yeah that's why I'm. that's why I was in Beverly Hills yeah
0: do you do you like the in-person aspect of an office is that like a, a thing for you you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm a bit old school is that I
1: like to engage people I like to whiteboard I love to build relationships and Adam from my limited experience with communicating with you I think I think you like to engage people you like to feel them you like to see them I know Zoom and Skype and all that stuff is uh, part of our culture now. It's not going to go away. We're going to have remote people. We're going to have remote offices. But for me, I want to have some, you know, right hand, left hand, you know, key people in my organization sitting in my office with me that I can engage and more Mm -hmm. operators, more probably senior operators that I then can help me execute. And if they need quicker, faster clarity, I want to just like engage them face to face. Because I, I love to be a part of a team, but but it's, the Zoom stuff only goes so far for me, you
0: know. It's interesting to hear you say that because I've been remote my entire professional career from sixteen wow. to thirty eight. Yeah, like before it was cool, and at Ringba, people used to make fun of us or be like, e, "People used remote? to judge us for it." Yeah. Wow. So, but recently, it's funny to hear you say this because I called Harrison the other day and I was like, you know, there's this hipster city down the street from me and there's like a 15-story building in it. And I was like, how pissed would you be if I rented the entire top floor, put a giant ring sign on the building and then started hosting masterminds at it and had a marketing team there because yeah. we want to do more training and events and meet people and do that. But I can't do... 12 more travel events a year on top of the trade shows like I'll be my wife kill me so yeah but if it's literally six minutes down the road I can go every day like it doesn't it doesn't matter that's what I'm doing
1: so I'm eight minutes away that's where I'm getting my office I I decided eight minutes that's it that was my (laughs) my max it's so funny but let me ask you a question did you do it did you did you want to get the environment because you kind of felt good in it? Was it lofty? Was it open? Did you feel I like-
0: haven't been? I haven't been. I reached out to the building owners and they haven't gotten back to me yet. Uh, you know, it's like a I don't think there's that much demand in the city that this is it's like uh it's where the Pontiac Silver Dome used to be. And so I no was. one cares about this place. So it's like this yeah. industrial loft style building. Almost that. like yeah, yeah, almost like your fake background there. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I love that.
0: I don't actually care about the amenities or anything in the building. Like if it's a big open space and I can have uh, some mastermind room and a place for some marketing people to work, I think it would be really cool. I don't know. So I'm working on it.
1: You can make it into a studio like to a degree, even Mm -hmm. tighten up the the video type stuff you do. It doesn't need to be overly tightened, but. You could really make it into like a work environment. You walk in or like a movie studio for your content. Exactly. Yeah. Make it Big fun, sin, by the way, because I can. All the fun part about what we all do is we get to be creative, right? This is the fun part. We get to be creative. We get to build things, have ideas, concepts, we see them, you know, become real. So that you know, there's a pro, again, there's the the cons and pros of it. Right now, you actually have to get up and go there. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I, I get it. I get it.
0: Yeah. So I'll keep you posted how it goes.
3: Uh, I like yeah. how you mentioned a spot to record the podcast because I'm in my office that I essentially only use to record the podcast. You see,
2: <laughs> this is all good content, and I haven't even done the intro yet. But uh, we'll, we'll find a way. We'll find a way to work it in there.
0: It'll happen during Whatever November.
2: you want, right? Throw
3: that in <laughs> deep and post up, Adam. This is ridiculous. He didn't even do the intro yet. No,
2: okay. that wasn't. First of all, hello, Harrison. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, second of all, yeah, let's get right into it here. what's up everybody this is josh coming to you with another episode of the affiliate marketing show if you're not already hip to offervault.com make sure you check it out we are your one stop shop for all things affiliate marketing today on the show per usual we also have the ceo and founder of ringba adam young where they will take care of all your tracking needs make sure you hit up ringba and check out ringba.com we also have a man that the affiliate industry often refers to as the affiliate marketing gandhi harrison gewertz and we also have the ceo of ad an industry known and reputable customer acquisition company that generates leads and calls from their owned and operated web brands. They're also a distribution network of media for advertisers and legal tort, automotive, investment, home services, credit help, and higher education. And a man who's also been in the internet marketing space since 1998 when I was eight years old and Harrison was six years old. Give it up for Bill Wilson. What's up, Bill? Hey, how are you? Glad to be here. Bill. I don't know if you've seen every episode, but that was one of the best intros I've ever done.
3: <laughs> I, I agree.
0: I, I mean, on I have, have some big shoes to fill. On every- Everyone who's listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe.
2: Ah,
0: uh, <laughs> that's a given. That's a
1: given. No,
2: it's always one thing, you know. It's always one thing. Please like and subscribe, guys. And my job is depending on it, please. Bill, what's up, man? Where are you uh talking to us from today?
1: I'm I'm actually in I'm in Los Angeles, California. Um, specifically in Sherman Oaks. I'm I'm actually in my my home office right now. We we're just talking
2: about Do we prefer offices or home offices but that's where i'm currently at so i can focus with you guys do you uh you hit any of the affiliate world shows i know there's a show going on in dubai right now or are you typically an affiliate summit guy through and through yeah i'm affiliate
1: summit leads con um lead generation show i've sent more people there or contact.io type shows i've sent people but really it's just been the core um i go way back to ad tech so that that was one of my my core until that went away, but uh, I've I've actually recently really been thinking about the affiliate world summit type type uh, was it the affiliate summit world
2: affiliate yeah. world conferences and yeah they do. I, I need to
1: go for two parts one of course it's an interest to see what's going on in the world but also a, a lot of very interesting places that if you meet up with people that you work with what a great way to bond in, in a whole different world place like Dubai or. Thailand or
2: or or Spain, Spain. right? I mean, yeah, you well, nailed it. We got all three, dude. Share with yeah.
1: people we like to work with.
2: Awesome. Well, I'm gonna jump right into our first topic here because I know this is gonna be a good episode. I want to make sure we get everything in. But the first article we're gonna um, we're gonna look at here is Google warning that the internet will be a horror show if it loses this landmark Supreme Court case. And what that is, is the US Supreme Court heard a case last week that could reshape the internet as we know it. In short, does Google bear liability for user-generated content when its algorithms recommend the videos to users? Now, Adam, I know how much you love when I read articles on the show, but I really think that these two paragraphs are gonna kind of get everyone caught up to speed much better than I can summarize it, and it'll only be about a minute of our time. Don't do it. in the case gonzalez versus google the family of a terrorist attack victim contends that youtube violated the federal anti-terrorism act because its algorithm recommended isis videos to users helping to spread their message now ne- 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 no Hey-me gonzalez was an american student killed in a 2015 isis attack in paris and his family's lawsuit challenges the broad legal immunity that tech platforms enjoy for third-party content posted on their sites Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act passed in 1996 protects platforms from legal action over user-generated content, and it also protects them if they choose to remove content. Section 230 has withstood court challenges for the past three decades, even as the Internet exploded. First paragraph of two completed moving on to second paragraph as I think it is very helpful for us to read the attorney for Gonzalez's family claimed that YouTube's recommendations fall outside the scope of section 230 as it is the algorithms, not the third party that actively pick and choose where and how to present content. In this case, the attorney said it enhanced the ISIS message. Quote third parties that post on YouTube don't direct their videos to specific users end quote said the Gonzalez attorney eric Schnapper. instead he said those are choices made by the platform justice neil gorsuch said he was quote not sure any algorithm is neutral most these days any designed to maximize profit end quote internet firms swear that removing or limiting 230 protections would destroy the medium but would it chief justice john roberts asked google's attorney lisa blatt would google collapse and the internet be destroyed if google was prevented from posting what it knows is defamatory she said, not Google, but other smaller websites. Yes. So, Bill, I'm gonna take this straight to you first. What are your thoughts on the Communications Decency Act and Section 20 and and all this information about YouTube, their algorithm, and when it comes to user generated content that could be extremely dangerous, like in the case of this lawsuit? You know you meant I'm section two thirty,
3: by the way. Not I section meant section 20. two.
2: I thought I said that. It's, you know, it's been a a long day here, but yeah, Bill, what do you think? Let's Let's go to Bill. Uh, Yeah, you know, I'm going to agree. Algorithms are not neutral.
1: Uh, We see it with Facebook. We see it, especially with Google. Um, I believe that it's created by them. They own it. And yes, they are pushing these things to users. Users aren't looking and asking for them. I think this is just my opinion. I do believe there needs to be a level of accountability. Uh, Again, I'm I'm a marketer, of course, I'm a publisher myself, but there has to be some level of accountability, especially for these larger media companies. And and the reason I say that is they become too big to communicate. So what does that mean is that as an individual, it hit home with me because the defamatory uh, aspect my wife and i were stalked, and it was with with a larger platform like facebook and the inabilities to communicate directly with them and have it dealt with to have them do research uh the way that um these big companies have hid behind freedom you know the freedom act of speech type scenario and things like like this uh has uh made it made it impossible for individuals to um whether it's remove content or communicate or 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 fix so i do believe that they are pushing it and if it really wasn't the the issue then pull the algorithm off right just pull it off if it, if it's not about profits I, like you stated
3: go ahead i have a couple of thoughts here i think it's Please. this is a very po- polarizing uh topic and you know Politically speaking, people on both sides of the aisle have spoken out extremely strongly against Section 230. So like the argument from the left is that, you know, Section 230 is preventing the censorship or blocking of, you know, propaganda, fake news, hate speech. Then you go to the other side of the aisle, the right wing perspective is that all of these platforms are, you know, biased and extremely hard on conservative type content. Um, one thing you mentioned is you called them publishers and that's the key key word because that's what we see them as but they consider themselves legally speaking as platforms so you know I look at this I go you can't just repeal 230 because then it's going to essentially cause all of these platforms publishers whatever you want to call them to really overly moderate their 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 platforms because of fear of litigation right it's going to Turn the internet, which is pretty much a melting pot today, into something that will be extremely tight knit. But you know, at the same time, I I think that you know revisions are a great uh, you know way to fix this problem. Adam and I have had really in depth conversations about this. It's been a few years, but you know, treating these platforms as like a utility would definitely change things, where there is still compliance and rules, but that there's Regulation that is set in stone for everyone to be held by. I think another thing that would be interesting is if there was more disclosure and transparency in the algorithms that, um, you know, is shown, like if if we actually knew what was happening um, and what how these algorithms were working and deciding what we saw, it would give consumers more insight into what's happening. So this is a tough one. I I don't really have a full perspective on it because I don't have a solution, but I do believe something has to be done.
0: So I think what you said there was interesting. And the problem with the algorithms is even the creators don't know what's happening under the hood of these things. So when you train a machine learning model, you get the output of the model and you can run data through it, but it doesn't give you any information about how it's going to react. and. I think, obviously, the issue with the Supreme Court here is, is Google responsible for the outcome of an algorithm when it doesn't even know what the algorithm is doing? And I think there <laughs> lies a very, uh, a very messy problem, because if you're unaware of what the algorithm is actually doing, how exactly do you put guardrails on it? And so I think what, uh, what Twitter is going to do, and this is my prediction, and Elon has tweeted about this recently, is that they're going to open source their algorithm and they're going to allow consumers to choose what algorithms or what criteria goes into the algorithm that they're using. And I think in the future, what we're going to see for the preservation of 230 or the modification of 230, because I don't think the Supreme Court's going to strike it down. I think the Supreme Court's going to say, this is a congressional issue, go create a new law. Um, But I think the reality is, that consumers need choice into the algorithms that they're using and those algorithms need some level of transparency so that we understand what the mathematics and the choices are behind them. Um, I don't think it's cool that ISIS propaganda is being shown randomly to somebody. Um, I don't think it's cool at all that that is on uh, YouTube in the first place, but the reality is they're not gonna be able to catch everything. And so when the keyword tags or the automated algorithms grab one of these things and put it in front of someone's face, um, I don't necessarily know if Google deserves the liability of that because there's just an endless amount of content. There's not enough humans to actually watch it all and moderate it. But at the end of the day, I would like to know how the biases in the algorithms that are pushing content towards me are making those decisions. That way I can understand clearly if if an algorithm is trying to manipulate the way I view a topic, and that that's pretty scary. And, uh, you know, I remember a few years ago, and Harrison, we we chatted about this. This is more than a few years ago. I think it was 2013 when we were watching uh, live, stream, live stream news over the Internet or webcams over the Internet of uh, mm-hmm. Palestine shooting rockets into uh, Israel, and they literally were monetizing these webcasts of war with car commercials. And I was taking screenshots of the car commercials and the other ads and like sending them to Harris and be like, can you believe that like their their monetization algorithms are actually putting ads on war? And I don't think anyone did that intentionally. I just, I just don't think there's any way to control all the interactions that are happening. Um, And I don't know what the outcome of this case is going to be, but it's getting pretty clear at this point that we need more transparency into what these these big companies are doing. Otherwise, they're just going to be constant butting heads.
2: Bill, do you think this uh, like can someone make an argument that this is violating freedom of speech or because it's tied into a bigger platform like they're basically turning that over in the first place?
1: They always can, you know, all all content or publishers or, or news outlets utilize that as a, as a tool to provide information, no matter what it is. Right. Um, I, I, don't know if it's right or wrong, but they, they use it no matter what, why? Cause I've, I've experienced myself. I think we all have on, on having content provided to us or available that, that is really, as we know, you know, just like Adam said, he's not happy to see this, but at the same time, someone can say, well, it's freedom of speech, it's content. You know, it's it's a bad excuse. You know, I'll just go back to this. This is an algorithm that is created by Google. So if it isn't about profits, then remove the algorithm. Let the users decide what they're looking for, what they want generated to be put in front of them. I think Adam and I are still kind of saying the same thing. It's almost like creating a browser environment that we decide what content we want to see or how the algorithm works. But as you know, most individuals, especially little kids, right, right, they, they don't know how to do that. Actually, they probably know better than I do. A seven-year-old can get around a computer much better than I do. But, but in the end, it it's very ambiguous. It's very challenging um, for an end user to understand how to block or use or understand an algorithm. Heck, I'm having a hard time saying the word. Right? <laughs> think about it. I say it long, all the time and laugh at myself.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, Bill, to your point there, the algorithm that powers YouTube is the key to its financial success. That right. So Google bought DeepMind years ago, and the talent of DeepMind was in uh, artificial intelligence, and they, they used DeepMind to create all sorts of machine learning models, one for YouTube, others to optimize their data center. And those algorithms, those machine learning models, are the key to billions and billions and billions of dollars, commerce. Yeah. yeah, in in revenue and shareholder value. And so, you know, I can completely understand why they don't want to change the status quo. And you're right; it's still complicated. Like, how do you choose your algorithm if it's open source? How does a normal person understand it? Um, yeah. And you know, I've seen with some of these platforms, like uh, when Apple removed the ability to tag users the quality of facebook ads went down drastically for the advertisers but also for the consumers a lot of the ads i see are not relevant to me anymore and they're not interesting and i'm like well i actually prefer when facebook was tracking me more because yeah. i got to see things i was interested in and so where you know it's it, i don't think we're going to be able to have our cake and eat it too on this
3: yeah, the, because we're the quality here. The user experience from advertising has gotten worse because of all this privacy shit. And that's just wild to me. I literally see ads that make no sense now. And when they ask if they want to track me, I allow it. Not because I love ads, and I do love ads, but because I want the ads to at least be kind of relevant,
2: you know? You know, I thought the title of this article was interesting, too, that the internet will be a horror show. You know, in my opinion, the internet already is a horror show. Like, I lose (laughs) sleep thinking over, like my one year old son using a computer in like five or six years. It's, I mean, I know they have like safety versions of browsers that you can set up for your kids, but I mean, how long does it take for them to get around that? You know? So I feel like the internet already is a horror show in a way. Um but- Well, part of that horror show though,
0: hold on. I want to touch on this because I it's interesting to hear your perspective as a parent and I'm not a parent, but, um, I think today is more of a horror show on the internet than it used to be because you can't go on the internet and not be you. Like when I was a kid in my parents' basement and I could log into a forum or a chat room on dial-up or a bulletin board, I created a username and, you know, maybe in my 12-year-old wisdom I said something stupid or embarrassing or made an ass out of myself. I could just never log into that account again and create a new one and be a completely different person. And today, that that level of um, that level of privacy almost doesn't exist. You have to confirm everything with your real identity. You're not allowed to to just be an anonymous person. You're not allowed to say things that uh, you may regret later. It never gets deleted, um, and you're sort of stuck with the reputation of, of what you put on the internet. And so I yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think the horror show aspect of the internet today is is uh is really multifaceted. And so we've we've lost control over what we see and we've also lost our ability to be forgotten. And so yeah, Josh, for your kid when they finally get to the internet, I I, I think it kind of sucks for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious to see like what this you know generation of internet children like grows into, you know, because like I feel like the internet was just kind of becoming a thing when I was growing up. Um, You know, I just remember being when Bill was
0: growing up, they were landing humans on the moon. How cool is that? That
2: didn't happen yet. Didn't I happen. remember, I remember going into my parents' basement with the AOL dial-up sound oh, wow. and you know pictures taking like five minutes to load one like line of pixels at a time. And now it's yes. like you can you can find the most nice. effed up shit in five and a half like five milliseconds. So yeah, yeah it is concerning. Yeah, it is very concerning. But uh, I am curious to see how the Supreme Court rules and how Section Two Thirty plays out. Another thing that is concerning is a new rule proposed by the FCC, which, quote, could close the lead generator loophole and would be uh, have some serious ramifications for the businesses in the internet marketing industry. So what it is, they proposed a ban, um, basically to ban the practice of obtaining a single consumer's consent as grounds for delivering calls and text messages from multiple marketers on subjects beyond the scope of the original consent. We actually touched on something similar to this when we interviewed Amanda Ferris about how many marketing partners is too many. Um, But this is kind of another more recent uh, instance of it popping up again. But basically, implementing this rule could drastically change the way lead generators obtain consent from marketing calls and texts under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, also known as the TCPA. Partner companies are listed in a hyperlink and displayed on another web page only when the consumer clicks that link. And uh, given the potential impact of the SCC's determination on lead generators and companies alike, I really think this is something the industry needs to pay attention to. Bill, I know you also wanted to talk about, you know, TCPA compliance and how you guys do it at Admediary, but before we get there. Um, what are your initial thoughts on the whole marketing partners hyperlink, listing them on the same page? How many is too many? What do you guys like? How does this tie in the ad media area and your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, you know, Adam, you earlier, uh, the way he was talking is just you'd be clear, I'm very pro business, right? So I understand why this is a challenge for many of those people that would be listed within the marketing. Uh, list there right as in how we monetize being a website owner like myself how do I monetize my consumer when they're coming through my website you know flows and paths Um, based on we're out buying media and we're trying to make it back out so it's very complicated situation I, I do believe that there are industries already that are specifically saying hey for example education I own education websites and based on the flow of the website, I use tools like Trusted Form. Uh, that when the consumer is coming through the site, each instance, when the person opts in to speak to a specific school, I have to capture that and provide that information. So that is specific to the advertisers when they call. But of course, in the beginning, I originate it with general marketing partners to have an overall protection. And as you know, just because I have intent, of not giving my data to everybody, I can't control that the advertiser doesn't do it. So ultimately, it's I still believe it's a good practice to use general marketing and list a lot of companies to protect potentially anybody that ends up getting their hands on from your advertisers. That maybe you you want to believe you can trust everyone, but just in case they do, and I believe that trust needs you still need to have that in play. But I, but I do get the difficulty. Of it, right? For example, if a customer comes to your website and fills it out, you, they want to believe that the consumer is very clear what they're filling out. As you know, the more information you put, the more disclosures you pour, put, the less a consumer reads. So, from my experience over years dealing with legal challenges, um, and I, I've been forced to add more and more disclosures, I've actually feel that it's made it more and more uh, difficult for a consumer to really understand what they are opting in for and or not. So I don't know if that helps, but I I, I look at it as in, I try to do the best practice I can with what there is, but I also believe that there's a reason why TCPA is very ambiguous in nature. And it doesn't specifically say how many people, because who's gonna dictate how many people are the, for example, is it only 10 marketing partners that you can put on the list? Is it 5,000? Who's gonna dictate that, right? who's gonna track and monitor it, right? There's a company called Aptismo that has looked to attempt to consolidate the way emails are um, um, unsubbed, right? Amongst your affiliates and your marketing partners. So if you give those emails out, they attempt you via your website to make it available to suppress it, right? So there are tools and groups trying to say, hey, if you give this data to multiple people too, that you universally unsubscribe, right? So there's a lot of people looking for how do you do best practices, but I don't know if there's any one answer because, uh, again, I think this was all started in ambiguous manner to allow commerce. I'll use the word Adam says. I'm still pro commerce, and as long as there aren't bad actors, I think I think you know. Uh, we do the best we can with with what has been made available because it's been very clear over the years how to opt in and what to say and how to do
0: it yeah I think adam you're what's... right there bill yeah i'm i'm knee-deep in this on a, a regular basis and it this kind of drives me nuts because the bad actors you're talking about aren't going to comply with this anyways, but they're the reason that this is even on the docket. Right. Right. And so what's happening is a bunch of bad actors are doing things that aren't acceptable. They will continue to do those things that are unacceptable. And it just puts a lot more burden on the people who are trying to do a good job um, in their marketing funnels. The one like, some of this doesn't scare me, like containing, uh, uh, obtaining consumer consent for delivering calls and text messages and keeping on subject, right? Like, if you're going to accept someone's information and it gets sold as a lead and the people who call that person are mortgage people and it was a mortgage advertisement, fine. I think the portion of this uh, that goes beyond the scope of the original consent is where you sign up for a mortgage lead and someone tries to sell you a car warranty or your information ends up on some international uh, robo-dial list like my phone, which I literally just got three phone calls in the last five minutes from I, I don't know, they want to sell me Medicare clear <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 years in advance, right? Yeah. And so I get, I get 30 of these phone calls a day and they're not literally 30 and they're not going to stop from this, which is unfortunate because I do believe that the FCC does want to stop really bad behavior, but I don't think that any of these proposals are actually going to do that. I also think if they're going to force lead generators to do their entire disclosure on the form, it's really going to change the ecosystem around a lot. It means that publishers are going to have to find really good direct advertisers and a lot of the lead brokering is going to have to stop. And so those people who aren't really good at uh, compliance, business development, building a brand, you know, running a business um, are are going to find that there's not a lot of value in trading the data anymore or aged leads or what, whatever the case is. And so if that actually stops, it's going to hurt a portion of the industry, but uh, that will be better. For consumers, because the reason my phone rings is likely from some sort of aged lead or someone took caller ID uh, data from a test call I made or something and uh, sold it. And I'll never get off those lists.
2: What are the ramifications to Ringba specifically? Is it is it not so much a, ra- a ramification to Ringba as it is your clients and then therefore you could be affected by it? Or is there a direct uh, ramification that might affect the business of Ringba as well?
0: It, I mean, this won't directly affect us at all. So all of our traffic is inbound traffic. And we do have some companies that do warm transfers, of course, and use our software for their programmatic call distribution. Um, but a lot of those companies generate their own leads. And so if you generate exactly. your own lead, you're still fine. It's just if you buy really low-quality age data, blast it on outbounder with robo, yeah, then you're going to have a problem. And so that's not really a ring but I a actually... Adam, I actually think,
3: and I may be completely wrong here, but if, if there's companies that are solely focused on lead gen, um, I kind of saw two golden opportunities here. So like, firstly, like couldn't transfers almost be the loophole. Like if you're a lead generator, if you reach out to the consumer as the lead generator and then transfer these calls accordingly, based on X, Y, or Z qualifications. That is kind of a way to, and I haven't fully read these rules. And
0: no, I didn't kind of go. see this, you got, you got, no, it I right see there. this so, as a benefit I, to ring yeah,
1: by can actually answer this one. Can I answer this yeah, one? Go Bill, go. I'm very familiar. By the way, I, I like where you're going with that. I'm ready. I tell my team, I am not an age data. I'm not a data company. I'm a lead gen company. Very different. The data companies have hurt the lead gen industry, even the warm transfer from a, a quality lead, right? It's hurt all of us based on how they've, I'll use the word, slutted out the data, right? Call, call them data sluts, right? <laughs> they're bunch <laughs> <I'm> of sluts slutting <laughs> out the data, maximizing it, telling us that all TCPA compliant, telling us that they have the Jernia codes, they have the, the you know, the trusted form codes, but their names aren't on the website and they're just selling the data like it's compliant. So true lead gen people, I, I will say, aren't aren't the ones that I think are gonna have the big challenges. Going back to what you were talking about is that the source of the issue is where the consumer opted in. If you, And I've looked at this. If you do not have permission to call that consumer in the origin of the call where you got the data, then you are breaking the law or you are not in compliance. I don't care if you get on the phone after you got data illegally and wrong that was slutted out to you, you called it and now you phone verified it. They call it opted in. I got a phone verification. They approved for me to transfer it to you. You already broke the rules. So that's where where it breaks down. And I hate to say that, but that's how I look at it. I go, hey, show me your website. Show me where you own the website that your brand's on. I focus on that because if I take a call wrong, Trust me, I've been enough of these these TCPA um, trolls. We call them at our company that are coming after us, right? Uh, and even when they opt in on the website, we can show it to them, they still pursue you, right? But so we're concerned of those trolls specifically with people that aren't getting data in a compliant manner. So the answer, Harrison, is I believe it's where the consumer opted in on the origin before you called it. You've already broken broken the i'll call the rules you've already broken the rules before you 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 phone qu- qualified and transferred it so it doesn't matter it's where it o- originates is my that's my opinion and how we look at tcpa compliancy with a warm transfer group or with a group that drives inbound calls from us from a lead gen
0: group, uh team i you know, I, I can point, see that
3: i was just gonna say i still to- think go ahead man i'm sorry. I,
0: Uh, Yeah. So like to Bill's point, what you're saying is absolutely true, Harrison. If you are the lead generator, you capture the lead, you capture the consent, and then you dial the consumer. And if the consumer is on the phone and I say, hi, sir, you know, I'm really happy to sell you this new solar system or whatever it is. Do I have permission from you to transfer you to X advertiser? Now I have a full chain of custody to where I got the lead, got them That's on the good. phone and then sold it. But the people who are doing lead gen that don't have the ability to run an operation, like we're talking about, they're going to suffer, but it's going to create a whole bunch of new opportunities for companies like bills actually.
1: Yeah. it's
0: opportunity I, I think, for yeah, I think this could be a huge opportunity for
3: people that are maybe, you know, only acquiring their customers through lead gen to maybe pivot to calls. So like, This is definitely an interesting and concerning potential, you know, regulation, but I think it actually could benefit Ringba in the long run, even though it may hurt some clients. It might Hey Adam, let's think about Ringba.
1: If you if a portion of your income is from your minutes that you charge from utilizing your platform, and now the quality of those calls become longer calls, more minutes instead of lots of you know, 10 second hang up or less than minute minute calls. I actually think you can do a hundredth of the amount of volume of calls and make even more money. Does it make sense? Because the quality and the, the way that these lead gen companies are connecting and reconnecting their consumers, just like Harrison said, I now have permission to call someone. You just came on my abc.com website. Look, I also have this opportunity to you. So it's compliant. I have a relationship with you and I'd like to verify and get permission from you to transfer on. That is a good experience for a consumer well, guess what they're going to stay on the phone for more minutes. Ringba will actually make more money with less volume of gross calls but longer minutes. W- would you say?
0: Well, I would agree with you that in the end I think we're going to be just fine. But Yeah, we're obvious. <laughs> yeah, like Ringba doesn't do any outbound at all, Bill. We're only an yeah. inbound call tracking platform. I get it. So what you're I get it. yeah, what you're describing is exactly the reason uh, why I don't have concerns over this. This type of regulation will push more people towards inbound calls and trying to avoid the data capture in general. And so as our technology continues to get better and regulation continues to push uh, lead generators towards generating an inbound call instead of calling out to a consumer, because that's becoming more and more complicated, connect rates are getting lower, compliance is getting more strict. I've been always been a big proponent of inbound. I think it is the best. I mean, I put my money where my mouth is here. I spent a lot of money building Ringva. And so, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about this for us at all. Some of our clients do engage in lead gen, and I think they're gonna need to retool what they're doing a bit. But like Harrison said, anytime Anytime something like this happens, there are winners and losers, but it creates an immense amount of opportunity for people uh, to... This is an opportunity
3: generator. That's how I see it. It might suck for some, but others are going to print some cash. That's that's what I saw when I read the article, 100%.
2: Yeah, I think anyone in the industry who's not paying attention to this is taking a huge... Gamble. And speaking of gambling, the Massachusetts Gaming Commission, <laughs> commission held a round table right. that could impact how many sports betting advertisements <laughs> consumers in the state will see in coming months. I think I just got my job back. A launch date is set for March 10th, but affiliates still need clarification on what they are permitted to say. I, just, well, I
3: just clicked save as draft instead of publish, so good work. <laughs>
2: as well as how they can earn money from sports betting operators you know one of the things i uh thought was surprising when i read this article about massachusetts and their gambling protocols is 30 percent of people who register with a sports book online come from an affiliate marketing website on monday three of the largest affiliate marketers in the u.s held had a voice in the MGC roundtable and basically spoke with one voice as they lobbied for a combo of CPA and RevShare. Um, I feel like RevShare on a gambling affiliate program like this, where they're making a percentage of the amount the consumer wagers in the future, is a very uh, attractive. Uh, payout model for the affiliate. I know they exist uh, overseas, but it's very interesting to see it popping up here in the States. Bill, I know it's not really tied into your segment of the industry, yeah. but what are your thoughts on affiliate marketers as a whole in the gambling and betting space, specifically in the US and all the states that are now legalizing it and how affiliates should really be approaching that?
1: Yeah, and, and as you know, it's a fast growing, industry period and state by state in the U S for the past five plus years has been going on either way of allowing it and legalizing it. I would, cause I've looked at this. I actually almost invested in a company called lineup.com, which by the way, I should have, because it sold like three years later for $50 million with barely any, any real traffic or media. And he was a publisher. So I was able to look at his modeling and what he did. And, and it talked about the future of the state-by-state state, um, legalization of it. Um, I'm not surprised because we're publishers and or we work with publishers, right? That we know that marketers like ourselves are able to get the eyeballs of consumers better than even the, the companies themselves, as in the casinos or advertisers, we're good at it, right? Whether, whether it's how we write it or how we buy media. So I'm not surprised that a, a third of it, 30% of it comes from publishers. Um, the thing that um, I, I thought of um, was no matter what one, publishers, whether they're writing content or buying media, we're always taking the risk of buying media and having it back out. So if we can make more money on a rev share and or on a bounty, say la vie. Why we need to make it back out for us. Some of these companies may not seem big, but they may have you know, 150 writers, for example. We, we don't know how big they are. It wasn't clear how big or small these uh, publishers are. So whatever allows us to back into what we're doing, I I think it's great. I do. The thing that screamed out to me was politics. I I, be honest with you. i sometimes I look at things differently. The thing that jumped out to me is a lot of lobbyists are making a lot of money, (laughs) right? Looking at this because it's, it's even in the article and this is all about control of the big publishers, hiring lobbyists to control and dictate who decides what is the proper content and what the proper model is so that they can control the state and then i see a lot of politicians and political people getting money to help move towards that decisioning it's interesting right so that more screamed out to me than about people really caring about because the end part of that article was well if we do this right and we protect it and we monitor and regulate it these overseas gambling groups that may be not legitimate may be stealing money will be able to push them away and i believe the article was written and award all of this is about control of um of certain key publishers and affiliates and and lobbyists making money and and uh, politicians to be honest with you I, i i look at this differently but i believe as publishers um uh, we need to be able to make money, you know, where you started with. We, we need to figure out how to make money and have some form of guidelines, what we can say or not, but clear. And again, I, I go to the I idea of ambiguity. So much is ambiguous for all of us publishers and marketers to, if someone would just tell us exactly what we needed to do so that we didn't have to hire five different attorneys for five different things, right? Right. I think most of us are good enough to figure out how to make it work. It's just that it's so vague for all of us. We're unable to give everybody exactly what they want because they don't tell us. And I think we'll all agree with that, but I'll I'll end on that note. It would be great to have true guidelines as a publisher or affiliate for anything that we do from the government. I just don't have big hopes for
3: it when you add lobbyists in the middle of it. I I agree. Bill, I just you mentioned that you do some gambling stuff could you give a little insight as to the regulatory process to being an approved partner because I know it's insane oh yeah I don't
1: do gambling I looked at investing yeah okay I miss
3: I I have a friend that runs an agency that is specifically involved in running some of these affiliate programs and I had dinner with him years ago and he told me that every affiliate has to register with the state's regulatory board to be approved to market and each state is different. So for example, if you're going to work with hard rock, you got to register in each state. Um, and that it's, it's insanely regulated. So, you know, when I read this article, I firstly completely agree with you with regards to the lobbyists, but I just think it seems like an opportunity for those that are willing to play the long game to make a lot more money, um, which is great. But like, I, I just found it, overbearing that they require each that it's so regulated, even on a customer acquisition perspective, because everything else is so regulated as is like, I I just seems like a waste, (laughs) a waste of government oversight and time and money.
2: So, Bill, one of the things we like to do on the show is talk to our guests about some of their favorite books that have uh, really had an influence in their life, whether that be business or spirituality. And I know as we were talking before the episode, you mentioned you'd love to touch on that. So what are one or two business books and maybe one or two spirituality books that you think anyone watching would really benefit from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you ask,
1: because when Adam, and I finally met after all these years, it's, it's interesting. Like I met him face to face. We had such an amazing talk. And it was a blend of being of service to others, entrepreneurs. We have very similar concepts and ideas of the way to be successful is to be of service to other people and help them be successful. I think we both agree with that. And it's it's great. Uh, I got a lot of that actually out of some of the books that I'll mention. Uh, Also, I watched one of your other shows, Josh, and you talked about you like the spiritual aspects of things, right?
2: Oh, I'm big, big into the Buddhism and Stoicism and all that. So lay it on me. I We could talk nice. about this so for an I'm hour if you the want.
1: The da- Daily Stoic book right in front of oh, me. Oh,
2: dude, Ryan Holiday, dude. Holiday. Ryan Holiday is my yeah.
1: boy. I just finished guys, Discipline
2: that- is Destiny. He's the man, dude. Let me
1: see that Now, this isn't a lie, but this is sitting on my desk. And Adam can tell you if you guys can see all these. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. Your,
2: your loft is Sorry, a tricky loft. Yeah, it's really following yeah, you there.
1: But... Uh, but uh, I, uh, there's a book called Spiritual e- Economics by Eric Butterworth. And it's a cheesy concept, but it's not. If you sit still, you close your eyes, you look straight up and you allow everything in the universe of prosperity to be available to you, it's available. And the way, to open up the universal flow of abundancy, you need to break away the cobwebs, the, co- co- the um, cobwebs, co- the cobwebs. Uh, there you go, Uh, around you and you need to open that up, right? So some of that, I think Adam, I talked about, it's about who you're involved with, who's in your environment, right? And sometimes it's interesting is that your own family members can be the negative voices that keep prosperity from coming to you. Sometimes it's your best friends you fight to stay to be best friends with, right? But once you make, make it available, the universal flow of abundance available to you, everything's available to you right here, right now, if you allow it and if you're in the right situation so spiritual economics is all about that to get centered my biggest one is think and grow rich by napoleon hill uh it's a workbook by the way it's not just a book to read and it specifically says write down your definiteness of purpose what is it that you want because if you don't know what you want you're not going to get it guys and the next thing is what are you willing to give do you know what I mean to get it is it time is it energy What is it, you know, and what is it that you'll go about doing And a big part of my definiteness of purpose is, yes, a dollar amount, but it's also about helping other entrepreneurs within my space, direct direct marketing space and online marketing to be successful. So if I spend time and energy to help you be successful, I'm probably going to be successful. I think so many people on affiliate marketing, and the call space are so into keeping it all to themselves, right? Like there's some mat, some secret. And I think people like you guys here on, on, on this podcast and what I see within your shows is you're like, Hey, let me freely give it away. I'm going to give you the secrets. I'm going to give it away to you. You know why? Cause I believe it's going to come back to me. And I, I think that's what you guys are, are saying, right? It's coming back to you. And then one other book, and I'll, there's two books, right? And I'll shut up. Attraction. So as I grew beyond a part, I know Josh. I sent some things going on. As I got to a, a level of business where I'm fifty plus employees, uh, eighty plus contractors right now, over you know overseas, all going on. There comes a point where you have to have really a a, a level of how do you manage this? And I've I've looked at this book, Traction as a way of having almost like flat, and this word is controversial, but flat management. And it, it's not where it's actually flat, but it's about team accountability, right? It's about continuous growth where we challenge each other to be better. And if we're all part of a team and we're all looking at the same thing, we're, we're all holding each other accountable. And the people that don't wanna be part of that team, the team will move them on. Bill Wilson does not need to be in the middle of every single one of my teams if it's actually a true team. So I'm I'm working towards that. And one other thing that I say when I speak at uh, business schools, I say, look, there's only one way through things, and that's through it, especially the hard times. I've had many hard challenges in entrepreneurs, guys. Uh, I've had times where I'm crying. I thought I was going to go bankrupt, all the above. And there's a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Read that; it's amazing because you realize, guys, don't fight the obstacles. Work through them. There's only one way through it; it's through it. And anyway, I'll stop being cheesy. But the reason I'm being so cheesy is that Adam was so cheesy with me. I, I,
0: <laughs> hey, man, don't throw me under the bus here.
2: Man, I was going to say,
0: like,
1: I'm like you. I get I get more enthusiastic about helping other people. I think I said, Adam, when do you feel your best? Right? I, I say this to myself. When do I feel my best? You know when it is, guys? It's when I'm helping somebody else. Not when I'm thinking about myself. It's the worst. I hate thinking about me. The space up here is horrible. When I'm helping someone else, even in my own company, when I'm having a hard day, I'm going like, go, you know what? I'm going to help one of my employees be better. I feel good. You know, I feel good about that. So enough yeah. for me
2: no, I was gonna say. I mean, I think there's different types of being rich, right? And I can tell that you are rich in in spirituality. Your spirituality tank is full, and I can uh, I can really relate to that. I was gonna say the obstacle is the way as you were going there. I was like, I know where he's going with this. Uh, one more question for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, what's your your meditation practice like? Is there one, and is it daily? And how does it affect your day to day in terms of running ad media ad area and a business?
1: I'll give you something interesting. I've been trying for over 20 years to meditate regularly, right? I'm going to be honest with you. I have a few things on my phone and I've definitely identified anybody that doesn't meditate or even try. Don't think about the 30 minute, 40 minute hour meditation, guys. Take a look and start with those three minutes, those five minutes. Be silent. And meditation isn't about shutting out the noise. It's just about being present, right? I'm sitting here in another book, The Power of Now, right? That's an old school one. But, but ultimately, it's about being present within the noise. And that's where the magic is, right? So when I'm able to meditate, which honestly, even do five minutes may only happen once a month. uh, That's what I attempt to do is just to be present. The other thing is I do, and it's not meditation, but all the problems in my life come from me. And many times I just look in the mirror and say, before I start the day, I look at myself as the core of my problems. And then before I start my day, I do, I make some cheesy, just, I, not notes, but I make notes about what I wanna accomplish for, for the day. And I'll look at me as potentially what's in the way of those things, instead of pointing fingers at everybody else. You know the concept, you're pointing fingers, you got three pointing back at you. Part of my meditation, which I don't know if I answered the question right, is looking at myself in the mirror saying, What can I do to better things? Maybe I'm part of the problems and it's not my people. It's not my wife. It's not my family. It's not my friends, but maybe it's me. And if I reset myself every day like that, I'm more likely to have a better day and a more successful life.
2: Yeah, I think we should start our own podcast, me and you, Bill, called The Spirituality <laughs> Marketing Show. I think we lost Adam and Harrison on this, but uh, they're still there. No, did
1: you yeah. didn't
0: lose me on it. I'm just listening. Like, look, Josh, I share a lot of these philosophies. Bill and I talked about it. I recently got into, uh, well, what I would call an argument with somebody because they didn't understand my perspective, which is I don't actually think about the money. I think about how many people can I help? How many people can I serve? And if I do that properly, the money will come. And they were not able to comprehend what I meant by this or how it fits into their worldview. And what's interesting about that is this person's very money-focused and they're not able to achieve the amount of money they want. And the reason is, is because they're focused on the money as opposed to focused on the why or what their future-based opportunity is. Like how many people can they serve? What is their mission? How do they affect more people in a positive way? And so when you're able to focus on those things, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life, you can find a positive place to be. Uh, you know, all of the stress and challenges melt away. And when you have a really important mission and your team is focused on that mission, to Bill's point, they do the work for you. Um, and something that's interesting, Bill, is at Ringba, we don't really call it a family. We call it a professional sports team. And <laughs> that's because I can't get rid of my uncle on Christmas. Like it's not, he it doesn't matter what he does. We're stuck with right. the guy. But on a sports team, we have standards and we expect people to show up for practice, and everyone puts in uh you know as much effort as possible. And like to your point, Bill, if they don't, then the team will handle it. I don't have to be involved in most of those things. I mean, eventually I'll learn, but it has happened before at Ringba where we had to deal with a situation and my people just come to me after it's dealt with. Like, I don't like, it's not like they ask for permission to solve the problem. They're like, Hey, we have a problem here. We're going to deal with it. We'll fill him in when it's done. And that's what happens when you have a uh, a team that's focused on service and focused on their values and focused on giving as opposed to being focused on what do I get,
2: right? Well, right Bill, I want to thank you for coming on the affiliate marketing show. You're a fantastic guest. We'd love to have you back on anytime. For myself, Josh of OfferVault.com. Adam Young, the amazing CEO of Ringba, your number one paper call tracking destination, (laughs) the affiliate marketing industry Gandhi, Harrison Gewurz, (laughs) and CEO of Admediary, Bill Wilson. Let's make that paper. Let's make that dough. This was the affiliate marketing show. We will see you next time.